Well, howdy. My name is Pastor Mark Driscoll. I'm here at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona, a church we planted as a family four years ago and also have the honor of distributing Bible teaching through real faith and honored to speak to you today. I'll just be totally honest. I think a bunch of you are pastors and leaders. It's Monday, so I kind of got preacher hangover. And uh, I'm just gonna verbal process some stuff with you. Maybe just a little bit of an informal chat. Uh, God saved me at the age of 19. I became a senior pastor at the age of 25. I was not ready. I did not know what I was doing. God was still incredibly gracious. And uh, a lot of people got saved and a lot of things got done. And uh, in my years, I was largely dealing with uh, college students. And it's interesting because colleges tend to be culturally upstream. And a lot of the ideology uh, that dominates the university eventually finds its way down into the culture as it flows downstream. As those kids graduate, they start to create culture. They start to establish laws. They start to uh, celebrate uh, whatever it is that they believe uh, was kind of that uh, gospel that they were given in the university and they carry it forth into the culture and it becomes the bedrock for society, for government, for media, for technology. So if you wanna see what the future looks like, go to the university and eventually those kids will be the culture makers and the gatekeepers and they'll let you know what's coming. So I got saved in college. A lot of my early ministry was in college ministry, started a church that ultimately um, God was very gracious with and it was largely college students. But uh, over those maybe two decades altogether of ministry uh, before we relocated to the valley. It was just a constant conflict and head-on collision. And uh, some of which I understood uh, culturally, some of which I've come to understand as I've gotten a little bit older. And I just wanted to share it with you. Another thing I just feel inclined to say, and I'm just gonna verbal process for a bit. I've got a couple notes and we'll see how this goes. Um, That early on as a young pastor, I was invited into a young leaders cohort. So there was a day I was young and uh, it was a a lot of young pastors talking about postmodern philosophy and critique and some things that maybe are a little more passe today, but welcome to the trends and fads. And nonetheless, um, as we started teaching and traveling, got a little bit of attention, um, all of a sudden some in that movement really started to veer hard left. And uh, some of them became fully apostate. Some of them today are celebrating same-sex marriage, uh, which is a false gospel we'll get into. Some have embraced pantheism or panentheism, and they've really walked away from a personal view of a relational creator God. Uh, Many have self-destructed their marriages, and uh, as a result, um, it's been really tragic to see. I argued against that, taught against that, fought against that, and then uh, now find myself in a position where, quite frankly, I see... um, I think the the next great threat to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the next great threat to the health of the Christian church in my lifetime. That was kind of my first fight. I think uh, this is the second one and I think it is well upon us. And I think that the church is in a particularly weak position with a lot of churches being closed, throttled, having board wars, bad governance, and then a lot of pressure through media and social media add to that. A lot of young pastors that are naive, theologically uninformed, 
And uh, if you're one of those guys watching and you've spent more money on your, uh, if you've spent more money on your wardrobe than your library, uh, you probably should uh, sell some of your Jordans and go buy some commentaries and beef yourself up because it's wartime for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and it's not just about looking cool on Instagram. It's about preaching truth and uh, fighting the demonic realm. And oftentimes that is really in the realm of ideology. That's why so much of the Bible speaks of spiritual warfare in terms of renewing your mind and taking every thought captive. And that's not happening right now with a lot of younger, hipper, cooler, evangelical pastors who are finding their fads and trends on social media. They're jumping on something called critical theory, which I will say, I believe is the greatest threat to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe it has already infected and affected the university government. I believe that it also has taken over the social media platforms. I believe that it is in the process of silencing all dissent. This is not a political issue. This is primarily a spiritual and a theological issue. I think that it has already taken deep-seated root in many uh, mainline apostate liberal Christian denominations. And I think uh, it's entirely possible uh, that we will see in our lifetime the emergence of a brand new cult, just like Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons came out of Christianity. I believe out of critical theory, you're going to see an apostate version that still claims to be Christian, but denies the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe that there are many younger evangelicals that are absolutely in harm's way when it comes to this false teaching and ideology. Traditional theory is basically how we build things. Um, and so Christianity would fit in the concept of traditional theory. How do you build uh, law and order? Our God is a God of law. His, his word is filled with laws. How do, you, um, how do you architect a family? It talks about husbands and wives and it has specific things to say to both. Uh, what's the best environment for a child? Well, it tells us that God made marriage and he made us male and female and he made us to increase in number, to fill the earth, subdue it, to parent, to raise our children in the admonition and instruction of the Lord. The Bible tells us the basic principles for um, economics, private property theory, not everything should belong to the government. You're not allowed to steal some of those issues. And so the Bible is traditional uh, theory. It is about how to build things, how to build society, how to build economy, how to build family, how to build gender, how to build sexuality, identity, and marriage. Critical theory comes along, and I won't get into all the history of it, uh, but critical theory is just that. It is an overarching ideology, it's a disposition, it's a worldview, and it literally critiques everything that was built. If you think of traditional theory, it's like a construction crew. Critical theory is like a demolition crew. My dad was a union drywaller and he would build things. Um, other guys would get paid to come in and demo and tear things down. Traditional theory is about construction. Uh, critical theory is about deconstruction. And the way this works is because we live in a fallen, flawed world, and everything is built by someone who is imperfect and flawed. Everything that built, is built rather, uh, has flaws. Every organization, every institution, every family, every discipline has imperfections because it's architected by imperfect people. And even if there were a perfect system, it would become imperfect because of our imperfections. That's the case, of course, with Adam and Eve. God gave them a perfect environment and they made it imperfect through their decision-making and their rebellion and their sin. And the point is, it's much easier to be one who is critical of those who are building than it is to actually build something. It's very easy 
easy, for example, to criticize a leader rather than to actually lead people. It's very easy to criticize parents than it is to raise your own kids. It's very easy to criticize uh, an economy than it is to find a way to generate revenue that cares for constituency. It's very hard to do something. It's very easy to criticize those who are doing something. And I believe that God largely works through traditional theory, and I believe that Satan works through critical theory. In fact, critical theory is just that. It's the spirit of the accuser. It says in Revelation 12.10 that Satan is the accuser of the children of God, that he accuses day and night. Another way to say that is that Satan and the demonic realm, they, uh, they are critics. That's what they do. Uh, the criticism started in heaven where Satan and demons, Revelation 12, seven through nine, they criticized God. They, they had criticism of his leadership, his decision-making, his org chart, his structure. They didn't like his kingdom. They felt that it was unjust. So let me say this. The first rebellion and overthrowing in the name of social justice happened in the unseen realm and it happened with Satan and demons trying to take down God and his authority and the culture that he and the divine beings that he created, created alongside of him and with him. Uh, when Satan lost that battle, he was a uh, critical theorist, ground zero. He would be the first one. He was then thrown down to the earth where it says then in Revelation 12:10. So Revelation 12, seven through nine, talks about the war in heaven and the accuser or the critic of God being then cast down. Revelation 12, 10, the next verse says, and his new ministry, uh, if I could use that in quotes, his counterfeit ministry is to accuse the children of God day and night, which means that the spirit of the accuser is now at work in the world. And he's largely at work through critical theory, meaning he is critiquing everyone and everything. And uh, he is also the condemner where it says in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Well, the spirit of the accuser is the spirit of the critic and the condemner. And that's in fact what he is doing. And so the big idea from a spiritual warfare perspective and to put that overlay on culture, uh, my wife and I did that in a book we co-authored called Win Your War. And, uh, and we use some of the work of Michael Heiser, which most of you are probably familiar with, groundbreaking, great contributions to the, the, the theology and the understanding of the demonic and the unseen realm. But the big concept that we share in our book is that everything that God creates, Satan counterfeits. God is creator, Satan is counterfeiter. And so Satan isn't creator or creative, he's counterfeiter. It's deception. God gives truth, Satan gives lies. Uh, you're filled with the spirit or you're demon possessed. That's the counterfeit of being spirit filled. That there is um, true prophets and false prophets. There are true teachers and false teachers. Um, that ultimately um, there are holy spirits and then there are demons which are unholy spirits. Everything that God creates, Satan counterfeits. We see this work itself out not just individually. And this is, I think, maybe one of the weaknesses. And I know many of you are Pentecostal and charismatic and uh, I love you and I'm glad to be with you and I'm charismatic. But one of the weaknesses is we tend to think of spiritual warfare almost exclusively in personal categories, personal temptation, personal lies, accusations, uh, identity misappropriations and such. The Bible also shows us that spiritual warfare and that counterfeit of the critic who is behind critical theory, it overtakes entire cultures. So we see this, for example, in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus is a case study in a demonic counterfeit. Uh, there is the real God and then there's Pharaoh. 
uh, Pharaoh is supposed to be literally the son of God. So he is the counterfeit of Jesus. The whole nation of Egypt is the counterfeit of the kingdom of God. The uh, false religious leaders who come, they are counterfeits to the real priests that serve the real God. The signs, wonders, and miracles that were all demonic are counterfeits of the true signs, wonders, and miracles that accompany, for example, Moses. Um, That ultimately everything in the nation of Egypt is a battle between the realms where the critic and his uh, culture creation process uh, has overtaken an entire people group and then God comes in to overthrow and to critique the critic. The same thing happens in Daniel. Daniel's a case study in what God creates, Satan counterfeits. And so Babylon is used, if my memory's right, like 227 times in the Bible. It does refer to an ancient nation, but it refers largely to uh, demonic um, culture and uh, Satan's work on the earth. And so it talks about, for example, uh, Babylon in Revelation. Uh, some of the early church uh, Christians would refer to the nation of Rome in their day as Babylon. So Babylon is not just an ancient nation, it's a spirit that infects and affects many nations and it critiques culture and it creates counterfeit culture that then is the counterfeit to the kingdom of God. And in Daniel's case, uh, this included um, castrating him. And so it's gender reassignment surgery and gender reappropriation, which we'll talk about in a moment, is evidence of the work of the spirit of Babel. And, uh, and ultimately the goal was to cancel and to kill him. And so throughout the whole storyline of the Bible, over and over and over, there are these places where the critic, the accuser, uh, in the name of justice, who started his rebellion against God in heaven, he comes down to the earth, he attacks leadership. He then possesses, overtakes, fills political leaders. And then there's counterfeit religion and spirituality. And part of what happens, for example, in Babylon and in Egypt, these become interlocked systems. So your economics, your religion, your gender, your national identity, all of these disparate elements of what makes you a person, they're all interconnected in a holistic way. And that's the counterfeit of the kingdom of God. And so what we're seeing today is the construction of what the Bible would call worldliness. Worldliness, worldliness rather, is not just playing cards on Sunday or going to movies. Um, It is having the spirit of the critic in you to where you are becoming a critic of others. It also is in the name of justice doing unjust things to take down laws and authorities that are justly appointed by God. And what's happening is that as this overtakes social media and this spirit overtakes culture, if you unleash that in your church, eventually you're going to be the one who is criticized. And eventually in the name of justice, you will be the one who is attacked and torn down. And so what I wanna look at is just to show you, many of you young leaders, uh, to have you be a bit more maybe reflective on what you say, what you like, what you post, what trends you chase, and what slogans and hashtags you echo. And so let me just look at some of these. I made a few notes here. Um, Everything that God creates, Satan counterfeits. First of all, there is a counterfeit of creation. And so uh, God created 
the heavens and the earth. So there is creator, creation. The counterfeit today is pantheism or panentheism. And that is that uh, all that is creation is in totality God, or that God is limited to or at work in and through creation. Uh, this is the popular ideology that is dominant in radical environmentalism, radical rather uh, animal rights activism, and, uh, and many other such things. And ultimately, it plays itself out in gender and sexuality. And so the Bible tells us that there is a creator and there is creation. Romans 1 says that uh, this counterfeit spirit, uh, it exchanges the truth of God for the lie and worships and serves created things rather than the creator God. So the, the ultimate lie, there is one lie that the father of lies tells that is behind all the other lies. And that is to attack the differentiation and the perfection of God as creator and his creation. And so what happens uh, in this counterfeit of creation, there is no distinction between creator and creation. And then what happens is we replace God as creator. I'll show you how this works in gender theory and study. So according to the Bible, you have uh, sex, male, female, binary. Again, the Bible is very binary. And again, part of the critic uh, and the critical theory and the critical culture theory would eliminate binary categories. There is God and Satan, good and evil, heaven and hell, truth and lies, right? There, there are differentiations. One of those differentiations um, is between male and female. And the Bible says that God made them male and female. Part of the way that critical theory is uh, denying God as creator and then replacing God as creator is encouraging people to create their own gender, their own sexuality, their own identity. And so in the Bible, you're made with a sex, male or female. You're, that's your sex. And then you have your gender, which is masculine and feminine. This is why the Bible says things to men and to women because there are men and women. And when the Bible says in 1 Corinthians to act like men, it means number one, there are men, and number two, that men should act like men. All right, guys, Pastor Mark here, letting you know about the latest book, New Days, Old Demons. It's a prophetic word against pathetic wokeness. Uh, you guys understand exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, hopefully it is on sale. If not, it's coming out very, very soon. Would appreciate your prayers as we punch a lot of people and things in the mouth. And if it's a help, get a copy. So the Bible's very binary on these things. Um, this gets very confusing in our culture where people don't like this concept of fixed uh, sex and gender roles. And so as a result, then we get to recreate ourselves. And so literally, what the spirit of Babylon tries to do is the spirit of Babylon tries to take your God-given sex, gender, and sexuality and literally uh, recreate you. So with Daniel, it was castration. Today, we would call it gender reassignment surgery. That God made him a male and they wanted to castrate him so that he could no longer live uh, functionally as a male. They, they, they forbid that from him. And today people are told you need to choose your own gender and you should also get a knife and go under the knife and then you can recreate or rather create your gender. And some would even say, you know, I, I feel like God made me this way, but I'm really this way. And what that means is the creator erred uh, 
He made a mistake in how he made me. Therefore, he needs to repent and I need to replace him as the new creator. And I need to recreate myself with my own gender. It's a supplanting of God as creator. It's saying that God in fact erred and he needs to repent to us and then we need to do some work to overcome his sin against us. Another example, um, the, the, the counterfeit in critical theory is, uh, and by the way, critical theory is now sort of like the gospel. It's the overarching meta-narrative that pulls together all of the disciplines. So this would explain uh, the dominance in economic theory. Uh, my son, uh, his first economics class in uh, university, they handed him Karl Marx as a textbook. And uh, they forgot to tell the students that Karl Marx was a mass murderer. Uh, instead, it was just an economic theory. This is where you get fat studies, gender studies, women's studies, uh, colonial, neo-colonial, post-colonial studies. It's just critique in every discipline. And so what happens then is you feel like you are just by critiquing and attacking those who have taught things or have built things, okay? And then what happens then is their version of the Bible is critical theory. Just like you and I believe that the word of God is perfect and should not be critiqued or judged, it should be studied and obeyed. Critical theory has replaced God's word with critical theory studies as the overarching highest authority. Number three, um, they then have a counterfeit concept within critical theory of original sin. We believe as Christians, uh, Romans 5, 12 through 21, that because of one man's sin, the whole race fell. That's the doctrine of federal headship. The doctrine of federal headship is that we're either under Adam or we're under Christ. We're born under Adam. We're born again under Christ. That's why in 1 Corinthians 15, 45, uh, Jesus is called the last Adam. So there's the first Adam and the last Adam. These are only two choices and categories that we're not independent, autonomous individuals, that we're all part of a people group, a collective. We are, we are either judged together or saved together in Adam or in Christ. The result is that uh, we believe as Christians, according to the Bible, that we have original sin and that we are born with a sin nature. This is where the Bible says that we are wicked from our mother's womb. Um, and the counterfeit of that, the, the critical theory counterfeit of that is not that it is the sin nature you were born with that is the fallen part of you. It is your race, it is your gender, it is your ethnicity. So as a white guy, um, that's my original sin that I was born as a white guy. Now I'll let you on a little secret. I didn't choose to be Irish. God chose that. We were O'Driscolls from County Cork, Southern Ireland. Um, and I can't repent of being a man because God made me a man. And I can't repent of being Irish because God chose for me to be Irish. And so the counterfeit here is that the sin that is imputed to you, it is not, uh, it is not because of any transgression of God's law, but because of bias and privilege that was uh, allegedly handed to you. Okay. The result is now you're seeing people apologize for being American. You'll see them apologize for being British. You'll see them apologize for being male. You'll see them apologize for their, their race or their culture. Uh, they're apologizing for things that are not necessarily sinful, though all of those things do contain sinful elements. And instead what's happening then is we're repenting of... Um, 
of things that are not sin in God's sight. And the result is now that uh, we've redefined sin. And so sin is not a nature that you all have. Because again, if some groups inherit the wrong gender or race or class or creed, they need to repent of that. But if you don't have those elements or aspects, you are basically considered holy, righteous, and good. Like Adam and Eve, you have no sinful disposition that you need to be aware of or repent of. And what this is, this, this is causing people to repent of things that are not going to save them that we're supposed to repent of our personal sin before God, not things that are inherited to us from ancestors and chosen by God that are not necessarily sinful. Um, And then ultimately as well, number four, um, behind all of this is the spirit of the accuser. That that uh, God convicts us and the counterfeit of conviction is condemnation. Again, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So God convicts us of personal sin. And it's very popular today to talk about their sin, not my sin. Very popular to talk about institutional sin, not personal sin. And, uh, and if I do talk about personal sin, it's because I'm a victim of institutional sin or your sin. And therefore I am a victim and I'm taking the place of Jesus because I'm the righteous one. And you now need to repent to me because you have caused me to suffer. All of that to say, what happens then is uh, God convicts us of specific sin. Jesus said he would send the Holy Spirit to convict us. And then the demonic counterfeit of that is the accuser that Satan accuses us. He accuses us of things that Jesus already died for. He accuses us rather of things that are not necessarily true. And the way this counterfeit and the spirit of critical theory is working today, now we are doing the work of the accuser. We are accusing people, attacking people, maligning people, destroying people. And it is considered justice to destroy people and attack them. And one thing you pastors may not know, um, just as I'm doing my little rant here, uh, some years ago I had one, just a weird, a weird experience. I was taking my kid to a, get a burger and there was this a very liberal um, pro-LGBTQ, whatever the alphabet soup group was of the day, uh, magazine newspaper. And uh, it was on display in front of the burger shop And my photo was on the front page with a column from me that I had not written. I had not written it at all. I had nothing to do with it. All of a sudden, I'm wondering what the heck am I doing there? And the things I'm reading are absolutely what I don't believe as a Bible teacher. And then people started leaving my church and like, I can't believe you changed teams and you've joined them and now you believe that. I was like, that wasn't me. Come to find that, uh, that public figures do not have the same legal rights as private citizens. Okay, And that means that uh, Saturday Night Live can parody a political leader or a uh, business leader or an athlete, but not a private citizen. That once you become a public figure, libel, libel and slander laws don't apply to you in the exact same way as a private citizen. So for those of you who are pastors and leaders, what I would say is this, be very careful what you believe. Because if, if you hear something said, and it's an accusation about a leader, it may be from the accuser and you don't wanna join his team. 
Furthermore, some people will say, well, if it's said, it must be true. And or, um, you know, they wouldn't say that unless there was good reason. Well, the, the truth is, again, uh, libel and slander laws don't apply to public figures, which means if you have a platform or you are someone that is more well-known, things can be said about you that have no basis in reality, but you don't have much opportunity to do anything about it. In the same way, Donald Trump or Joe Biden could be parodied on Saturday Night Live, but they can't sue them because they're public figures and that fits under freedom of speech and also entertainment and humor. And so all that to say that we live in a day where the accuser has particular um, opportunity and grounds for significant uh, damage to uh, public figures and to leaders. And this is the counterfeit of conviction and it exists in our culture of criticism. Um, in addition, number five, the, the, the counterfeit of critical theory, they have their own counterfeit of the demonic. In the demonic realm, uh, we are told, uh, according to the scriptures, as you know, uh, you're all Pentecostals, whoop, whoop, um, that ultimately there are demonic forces at work in the world, uh, that our war is not against flesh and blood, but powers, principalities, and spirits. There's a war behind the war. Uh, whatever war we see, behind that is a war we don't see. And that war started in heaven in the presence of God. And therefore, we believe as Christians that supernatural forces, demonic forces are like gravity. They're real, they're invisible, and they affect our daily decisions, whether we believe in them or not. So I could grab this clipboard, and even if I don't believe in grav gravity and I drop it, it's real and it has implications. So it is with the demonic realm. Now, what happens in the counterfeit of critical theory, uh, what is unseen and demonic is bias and privilege. Bias and privilege. And they would say you have unseen uh, bias and privilege, and as a result of that, it determines your thinking and your acting and your valuing and your believing. Therefore, if you have bias and privilege, that is the equivalent of the demonic realm in critical theory and ultimately in cancel culture. Uh, in addition, um, there is a counterfeit of spiritual warfare. The Lord Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. You know that you have critical theory and critical culture and the critic or the accuser at work when ultimately the attitude is you're for us or against us. You're for us or against us. Meaning we are right, you are wrong, and, uh, and ultimately there will be no, uh, there'll be no meeting of minds in the middle. Uh, this comes to mind as I'm doing my little verbal process rant for you. Uh, the dictionary definition of uh, tolerance has actually been changed. In previous generations, the uh, dictionary definition of tolerance essentially meant you believe one thing, I believe another thing. Um, we agree to disagree agreeably. We agree to debate or discuss what we disagree about. Maybe you're right and I need to change my mind. Maybe I'm right, you need to change your mind. But either way, there was truth. And if we tolerate one another, meaning we agree to disagree agreeably, then that allows dialogue that allows us to arrive at the truth. Because perhaps even we're both wrong, which is possible. Now that being said, um, the current dictionary definition of tolerance is that you're right and that I'm right. And what that means is I don't really tolerate you, I celebrate you. This is why unless you post the hashtag, you're considered guilty till proven innocent. This is why unless you march in the parade, you are considered an enemy. 
This is why um, there is so much cultural pressure that is put on younger leaders and evangelicals because older people tend to value their capital. How much money do I have? Younger people tend to value their social capital. How much approval and influence do I have? That's the result of a social media economy that literally now it's an economy of influence. Some people count followers, other people count dollars. And this whole ideology of critical theory, the critic and cancel culture is ultimately, you're either for us or against us. And if you're not for us, you're against us. Therefore, it would be just for us to destroy you because you are our enemy and you are against what is good and we are by nature good. All of this is a counterfeit. It says, we sit in the seat of Jesus, we're the good people. You sit in the seat of sinners, you're the bad people. Unless you join us and celebrate us, then ultimately it is right for us to judge, to critique and to punish you. And to do that is to take away from you power and money and influence and ultimately to redistribute it. And that is in the name of justice. But what you'll never get with current critical theory on social justice, you'll never get uh, cosmic justice. Cosmic justice is between us and God. It doesn't care anything about cosmic justice. It's about replacing God with me and then me judging you and then me and my group extracting from you power, money, influence, whatever benefits us at your expense. And then we get to build our counterfeit kingdom and we get to rule and reign from our white throne and we get to be judge, jury, and executioner. We replace Jesus. We become literally antichrist, which is against and in place of Christ. That's what antichrist means, against and in place of Christ. And it is an entire antichrist system. Okay, so you need to be very careful, especially you who are younger and maybe less studied. Um, you may think, well, they're, they're using language in the Bible. Well, that's what cults do. Cults will use language in the Bible. And, um, and Satan reads the Bible too. Uh, he shows up and he misquotes it to Adam and Eve and he takes it out of context when he tempts Jesus. And, uh, and there's a big difference between human justice and divine justice. There's a big difference between social justice and cosmic justice. That ultimately, if we're really for justice, uh, we need to be for the justice of Jesus Christ that we've all sinned against him and that Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place for our sins because we are all sinners by nature and choice. None of us is righteous, no, not one. And the result is that God got his justice through the wrath being poured out on the son in our place for our sins. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Second Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our place and put us in his place, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God, the scriptures say. Well, if justice doesn't come at the cross of Jesus, it comes at the white throne of Jesus where people will rise from the dead and they'll pass before Jesus, their creator. And Jesus says in John chapter five, that the father judges no one, but he's entrusted all judgment to the son. So you and I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible is clear on this. It's called the white throne in Revelation, I think it's 20. And we will give an account and we'll be judged accordingly. And hell is the place where justice is meted out. So it's either at the cross or it's in hell, justice is meted out. But again, we can only preach the gospel of Jesus Christ if we are looking for God to get his justice. At the cross, us repenting, or in hell, us suffering. 
And it's so frustrating that so many younger evangelicals have made so much about horizontal justice, but they have not made any interest or any emphasis on vertical justice, God getting his justice. Because if God gets his justice, now I'm not the good person, I'm the sinner. I don't need you to repent to me, I need to repent to him. I can't just talk about all of your failures, I also have to own mine. And again, this is the counterfeit nature of the critic. He's trying to replace God and he's trying to have you sit in the seat of Jesus, condemning and judging others and then them doing right by you, all the while ignoring you doing right by him through repenting of sin. Also, this is, uh, they have a redefinition and a counterfeit of a victim. The greatest victim in the history of the world is the Lord Jesus Christ. We have all sinned against God. No one has been more transgressed than God. And uh, God's heart in all of this is broken. I think it says in Genesis 6 that God looked at the heart of man and his actions and motives, and they were only evil continually all the time. And God was grieved in his heart that he made man. God looked at the earth and said, everybody is always violating my will, my word, my ways. And it, it, it grieved God in his heart and it broke his heart. The, the ultimate counterfeit of that is that we're all the victims. And the truth is we are all sinners and victims of sin. That we have all sinned and we've been sinned against. This is why the Bible has the doctrines of propitiation and expiation. Propitiation is where our sin is dealt with through the wrath of God poured out on the Son of God and expiation is the doctrine that we are cleansed not only from the sins that we commit, but the sins that have been committed against us. Sometimes the Bible brings these concepts together like in 1 John. If we confess our sins, okay, so that's propitiation, my sin. My job is not to just be confessing your sin, which is very popular today. Confess everyone's sin, but not your own sin. That's the counterfeit. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, propitiation, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So forgiving us of all of our sins, propitiation, cleansing us from all of our unrighteousness, expiation. Not only is someone a sinner, they're a victim of sin. And so what we need to understand is that Jesus died both to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In the Bible, God's people will wear white to show their expiation. When they would go up to worship, they would wear white and climb up to the temple in the Old Testament. At the wedding supper of the lamb, uh, at the end of Revelation, the bride is given fine, pure, clean, white linen to wear. Uh, I think the first uh, mention of, uh, or one of the most dominant mentions of um, defilement is in the Old Testament. I think it's around Genesis 34, where it says um, that there was a, a young woman named Dinah. She was sexually assaulted and she was defiled. She was defiled. That means that, uh, that ultimately she needed to have expiation and cleansing. That's what the Lord Jesus does. That's what the Lord Jesus gives. Now, the counterfeit of this is I am only a victim of sin. I am not a sinner with victims. This is where some people will talk about all the systemic sin and all of the institutional sin and all of the historical sin, yet they're beating their girlfriend. They're aborting their own child. 
they're failing to go to work as a man and to provide for the needs of the family. And the Bible says, any man who fails to provide for the needs of his family is denied the faith and worse than an unbeliever. And so let's just be honest that many of the problems that we have in our world are not just things that have been done to us, but things that have been done by us. Because here is the the great hypocrisy of critical theory. I'm talking about everyone else's sin and how it's affected me, yet I'm not owning my sin and how it's affected them. But if they're talking about what has affected them, what has affected them is my sin. Pastor Mark here saying thank you for giving me the honor of helping you to learn God's word In a world filled with bad news, you need some good news. In a world filled with lies, you need some truth. And so, as I like to say, it's all about Jesus. We open the Bible and we help people learn about Jesus Christ. And I just want to say, if you would help me get the Word of God out, it would mean the world to me. You can go to realfaith.com, mountain of Bible teaching. I mean, we're coming up on three decades of Bible teaching. And or if you just go to 99383 and text the word unfiltered, again, that's 99383 unfiltered, we'll send you a link that'll open up literally thousands and thousands and thousands of pieces of free Bible teaching.